Welcome to this special episode of Stories from the NNI. I'm Brandon Bruff, Director of the National Nanotechnology Coordination Office. I'm really excited to release this episode on National Nanotechnology Day. So Nanotechnology Day is an annual celebration featuring events and activities on or around October 9th to raise awareness of nanotechnology. Now, we picked October 9th, or 10-9, because it pays homage to the nanometer scale, or 10 to the minus 9 meters. The theme of this year's National Nanotechnology Day is our role in understanding and responding to climate change. So today, it's my pleasure to welcome Dan Nocera, the Patterson Rockwood Professor of Energy at Harvard University. Now, Dan is widely recognized as a leading researcher in renewable energy, and he's the inventor of the artificial leaf, which uses sunlight to directly produce hydrogen and oxygen from water. This discovery sets the stage for a storage mechanism for the large-scale deployment of solar energy. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brandon. Nice to be here. To get started, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, As you said, I'm the Patterson Rockwood Professor of Energy at Harvard. I came here in 2013. I actually spent uh, the first part of my career at Michigan State. That's where I started. And then in um, the middle 1990s, I moved to MIT, where I spent the bulk of my career, and then moved to Harvard. And and each stage uh, contributed to my development of my research program in in renewable energy. They all had specific uh, stages uh, as I moved along. At Michigan State, I developed this area of science called proton-coupled ET. Then at MIT, like you said, I developed the artificial leaf. And then the last few years at Harvard, I developed the bionic leaf, which interfaces to the artificial leaf. So what draws you to the topic of renewable energy throughout all of these stages of your career? When I was young, that was graduate school, I was at Caltech. At that time, energy came and went, the oil crisis. And so that captured my energy. We, we had just gone through it. We had already been through it. This was in the early 80s. But you could sit down and do simple calculations. And so while the world had moved on and said, okay, now we don't have an oil crisis anymore, uh, it was obvious from just back of the envelope calculations that the world in the future was gonna have a big energy problem and especially one in climate change with CO2 emissions. And so I was interested in that a long, long time ago and just stayed uh, true to that interest through my career. You know, one thing that I was thinking about is that climate change and the environment and the earth are enormous, both literally and figuratively. And I'm coming from the world of nanotechnology, which is quite simply the science of the extremely small, And so I was hoping maybe you could connect those two things, thinking about atoms and molecules and incredibly small science. How is that going to help us make any kind of impact on the level of the climate or the earth or climate change? So I think you you hit the nail on the head, and that is atoms and molecules. And then we have this large energy infrastructure. Well, what's part of our energy infrastructure? So first, there's photons coming in if we want to be renewable. So you want to use sunlight. And when sunlight or any type of optical radiation hits a surface, 
it interacts at the atomistic level and the electronic level. The electrons start sloshing around once light hits a material. And so it's been shown that if you can nanostructure the light absorber, you can get different properties than a bulk material. So think of just a big flat piece of silicon. That's going to have a different catcher's mitt, if you will, for catching a photon than a surface that's been nanostructured. So the first part of the problem is catching the energy. And my interest is solar energy. Then the second part of it is once the solar energy is caught, it, get, it can get converted to electrical energy. That's what you do when you have a solar panel on your house and that runs your light bulbs in your house. But what you don't have is when the sun goes down, any energy storage mechanism. And so ways you can store it are in things like batteries. And you can also store it in fuels that you use for transportation. And again, once you get down to that level, you're at the atomistic level again. And that's the stuff of nanoscience. Um, you can be the bulk material, you can have an atom or molecule, and in between is this nano regime. And that controls all the reactions. You're gonna use the electricity to drive some process, either separate and store charge in a battery, or rearrange bonds of molecules to make fuels. And that's all atomistic. And so that connection to the atom in bulk is where the nano comes in. And maybe a lot of people who are at least even marginally interested in nanoscience who have heard it, they've heard, and this is what the last 20 or 30 years have shown in nanoscience, is when you, you can get into these interesting nano regimes where both the physical and chemical properties are different than the bulk or the atom or molecule. So that's the connection of nano to these big problems. So now that you have solutions in the laboratory, how do you apply those same solutions to society and making a global impact? In the next 35 years, believe it or not, you can have 6 billion new energy users visit the planet. And so that's 3 billion people in the global south right now, the global south being southern hemisphere of our globe. There's not a lot of energy use. As I'm speaking to you, you might not realize 1.6 billion people have never seen an electron in a wire. And then the, there's 1.4 billion that are low energy users. So you have 3 billion zero to low energy, and then 3 billion more people are coming. That's 6 billion people. And so what do they need? They need what we have. They need energy and they need to store it. And so a few years ago, we started wondering if you're poor and our argument, let's get really big. I'm gonna to go to an epoch. So we live in the Holocene, which is a 12,000 years ago. That's when humans showed up, but they didn't do anything to earth systems. And then we moved into this new period, which was, Paul Crutzen said, the Anthropocene, where human activity affects planetary um, ecosystem. And that's around 1800 onward. And then my argument is the Sustainocene, which is 
You can't have a sustainable planet with poverty and the poor. And the reason is these six billion people need new energy. And if they reproduce what we're doing, which is mostly a carbon-based world, you'd think you have problems, you're gonna have real problems. And so we started wondering with this idea of nano and controlling reactions and light, could we just walk outside and grab any resource? And so what's around you? Air. That's kind of interesting. You walk through it, but you don't think about it as a resource, except to breathe oxygen. But there's also carbon dioxide and nitrogen. There's any water source. So I don't want to use pure water. I might want to use urine or a river water. And then there's sunlight. And so we started wondering, in this world that connects molecules to bulk with nano, could we use sunlight, air, and water and create the world around you? And if we can, then I don't need a big distribution system or infrastructure for the poor, and that would allow me to get them more energy. So I'm giving you this long-winded answer to try to show you that the nano really does collect to this global problem. The question for us is, how can I use any resource that anybody, whether you're rich or poor, would have access to, and then could I can basically invent around them an energy ecosystem effectively. So Dan, with your group and what you're developing, how does that technology generate renewable energy? We made this thing called the artificial leaf, which was a nanostructured device. And what that did is it did the sunlight part of photosynthesis. So when you think of photosynthesis, you think of sunlight plus water plus CO2 goes to biomass and oxygen, oxygen you breathe but it's actually a two-step dance or a two-step process. The leaf absorbs sunlight and it splits water to hydrogen and oxygen. So when you put the water on the plant, what you're really doing is giving it a future fuel source that when the leaf catches the photon and then rearranges the bonds of water to make oxygen and hydrogen. That's what it needs the sunlight for. Once it has the hydrogen, you don't see leaves burping out hydrogen. They keep a solid form of hydrogen in nature called NADPH. Then it takes the hydrogen and breathes carbon dioxide in and makes biomass. It does that in the dark. So we use nano to do the water splitting with the artificial leaf, but then we decided you could keep trying to go the distance and develop a chemical way to then take the hydrogen plus CO2 to make fuels. And a lot of people in science are doing that. But for many reasons, we started wondering, could we interface the artificial leaf to biology and then have an organism eat the hydrogen that's been produced from solar water splitting and then breathe in carbon dioxide and make fuels and fertilizer? We just made vitamin B2, which is a really complicated heterocyclic molecule. And we can do that, again, using just air, water, and sunlight. So for me, and it was the interface of the, the nanomaterials world with the biology world. And the biology world in itself is a nano world, if you think about it. So it was kind of a nice marriage of nano one being inorganic and one being biological. And that allowed us to do the full cycle of photosynthesis. And we did it at an efficiency that's 10 to 50 times better than nature. 
So it, it proves that you can be even better than nature. And the reason we were able to do that is the nano one is the, the inefficiency, energy inefficiency of photosynthesis we did with the inorganic piece and then married it to the efficient part of the carbon cycle of biology. Dan, one thing that strikes me is how multidisciplinary your team must be. What's your experience working across all these different disciplines and how the diversity of experience and expertise in your group has impacted the way you do research? You have to be courageous enough at some point when you you come up and say, look, with what I know, we're not going to be able to answer this problem. I think you need to be deep in something, like deep in the rabbit hole of some expertise because you realize the limits and then what is limitless in what you know. And then when you come up to the limited, you have to be brave enough to say you're gonna go that different way. And nano does that for you all the time because it's about the small and there's all different ways that you can get to the small, materials biologically, with networks, electrical engineering. And so that is a connecting theme, but then that expertise you bring to nano when you need the other expertises, you should go that, you should go with it, not be afraid and just keep your expertise and try to convince yourself that I can solve that problem with what I do and stay in my comfort zone. And so I think you're right, Nano's great because it brings all, you don't have to go look for it. Everybody shows up to the game, but then don't try to force everybody to play your game, go with their game. And then you have two ways to do it, either collaborate or learn it yourself. What we usually do is we start off collaborating and then my collaborators teach me things, I teach them things, and then I learn enough if it's important that we can do it ourselves. Are there other technologies that might be outside of the world of artificial photosynthesis that you're really excited about to see developed? Anything carbon neutral I find interesting. and outside of, can we ever get rid of carbon? Probably not, but we can use it way more efficiently. So more efficient carbon, and then any new carbon neutral technology, I think they're all worth looking at at this point. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? From a science level, don't keep pounding square pegs and round holes. Be brave enough to get a round peg for a round hole and a square peg for a square hole. For the lay person who's not a scientist, is this real this idea to really listen to each other and talk about climate change from an economic perspective and then try to understand the pressures of the other person that you're listening to. You gotta spend some time understanding each other. Dan, thank you so very much for being our guest today. It was really insightful for me and I'm sure everyone listening to really learn about how you've dedicated your career to developing technologies to focus on making the world a better place. Now, to end this episode, I have a special announcement that I'd like to share with you and to everyone listening today on, of course, National Nanotechnology Day. We're launching the National Nanotechnology Challenge on Climate Change, which we're calling Nano for Earth for short. So the goal of this challenge is to leverage advances in nanotechnology to achieve the nation's sustainability and climate goals. So I would encourage everyone listening to check out more details on our website, which is nano.gov. 
and to help us promote this new interagency effort on social media with the hashtag Nano4, the number four Earth. 